you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is September 11th, 2023. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Bobbin, I see there's been a big change behind you. You're doing something. I feel like yeah, I'm it's just because something. I've been giving you flack about it. And not just you, dude. Like, uh, yeah, there are multiple people that give me flack about it. For those who are listening and not uh, viewing on YouTube, um, uh, Bobbin's his background has always just been a white wall. So we were yeah. like, put something up. And there's some like scaffolding of wood behind him, which w- you, we were DIYing over the weekend or something. Yeah, or- that, that's it. Like, I, I think uh, my wife eventually got fed up of this blank wall. She's like, yeah, we need to plan for something and do something. Uh, so she designed the whole thing. And then this weekend we spent like going to Home Depot a couple of times, right. getting the wood and cut it to the right size and then just put it up I had to borrow a nail gun which i i love a nail gun dude like it <laughs> makes things so much simpler like a hammer first, a nail? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like so the, the first efficient. the first thing that we would be like we'll put the liquid nails thing like just yeah. glue it together and see how it works sure, and yeah. like it, it i don't believe in na- uh, liquid nails anymore because it the wood was just like yeah i don't want to stick to the wall and then yeah. i got a nail gun and like bang 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 like yeah well awesome. i mean the other thing is like wood's like imperfect right so it won't yeah. be like and so is your wall right your wall's yep. probably uh different it looks great i mean I, yep. i'm excited to see the final product it looks pretty I, cool so this I'll, is phase you know, one so like yep. we'll get some caulking done choose a color maybe put paint it paint the wall uh yeah, I don't know how fast I'm going to work on this, but yeah, it's it's a work in progress. It might be that way for a while. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll see the evolution. Of, uh, yeah, I know part. every other episode, like, oh, we have something new in the background. <laughs> a pretty nice little Saturday at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, that was my weekend. Like, uh, and this project and NFL being back, like, oh, that's a oh, perfect that's weekend. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Football. The Patriots lost though, but I don't know. It still gives me some hope. Like the offense did look good. Uh, defense yeah. was great. So. I'm excited. Like Eagles are a good team. They went to the Super Bowl last year, so like losing to them by five points isn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> well, this is week it, one. It was being five hopeful. points in the end, right? Because yeah, they yeah. were kind of oh, looking like they were down sixteen and zero. <laughs> yeah, that You're was like, not oh, fun. Welcome back, Tom Brady. We're gonna make you the team Hall of Fame, but you know we're gonna <laughs> suck for you today. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was glad that we scored some points before the halftime when they brought Tom Brady on stage because that would have been really terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh, this this is not how I envisioned it. Well, it was like raining too. So it's kind of a melancholy uh, a day for Tom Brady to show back mm-hmm. up. Oh, hey, I, I think they made that announcement maybe last minute. Like, no, 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 no. This this seems shitty right now. But we have a <laughs> official ceremony planned next year in June. So yeah, c- come back for that. We'll, we we want to sell you more tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's literally, and they will because yeah. everyone knows Tom Brady. I'm not a Patriots fan, but you know, I appreciate the uh, the sportsmanship like, coming. I hope you're not a Giants fan, dude. They lost. I'm not. I'm not. No, I have. I grew up a Redskins fan. Well, Ah, nice. The Commanders. Um, Yeah. But you know, like I, I never really followed them that closely. It was just like my father was a fan, so I became one. Gotcha. Now I just like I just like watching football. So more of a baseball guy. 
So October, September, October playoff baseball. That's where I'm in, even though I'm a Yankees fan and uh, they suck this year. So <laughs> <laughs> still love them though. <laughs> How was your weekend, Ryan? It was good. It was good. I got outside mountain biking and did some other stuff. I saw you. You saw my Instagram. I was having some fun on, on one of my uh, on my bikes for a training coming up. So I can't complain too much. Other than you know the weather wasn't great. If you're in this area, you know what I'm talking about. And yep. It was, it was so humid. Like just being outside for an hour at any point, you're just I just want to die and go inside. Um, I don't know. It was like swimming yeah. when you're breathing. <laughs> <laughs> like I was uh, watching NFL Red Zone, right? So watching multiple games at once. And then whenever they switched to the Patriots game, it was raining and it was humid. <laughs> and then when they switched to like the LA Chargers and Dolphins game, it was like sunny and awesome. They would switch to a different game and it was sunny. I was like, man, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't we didn't make out weather-wise on the East Coast. <laughs> but yeah, can't complain. And uh, we got this episode first thing, you know, on the Monday morning, which, you know, is a good way to start the day. Yeah, let's Speaking of starting, um, we do have a great topic about uh, Nodeless. We'll introduce our guest shortly, but we have a little bit of news, not too much. Why don't you kick us off? Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Yeah, sure. So uh, first thing, a, a new funding round, a pre-seed funding round from, uh, I think, a Danish startup. Uh, they raised like 2 million euros to work on building or help developers build scalable backends and cloud infrastructures on Kubernetes faster. And that's about the extent of knowledge that I have. Like that's the that's what I could find about them. I'm I'm sure like this is pre-seed stage, right? So they're still figuring out what they are going after. But I, I, I'm just glad to see there's still movement in the community, in the Kubernetes ecosystem, and there are still these early stage startups uh, trying to solve challenges like issues with the with the uh, overall Kubernetes experience. So Absolutely. I'm all in for it. Yeah, me too. Uh, and then uh, next up, I think I have uh, D2IQ. They announced a new version for their uh, D2IQ Kubernetes platform or DKP. The one thing that caught my eye was they built a chatbot because everybody has to do AI in some form. <laughs> but it yeah. just uh, the the reason I'm highlighting it is like it's not just generating kubectl commands, right? It's sure. uh, the way they have trained the model on the back end is they instead of going out and looking at the public repository, they have trained it on their internal knowledge base. So like everything that they have in their history, I'm sure like from Mesosphere days, that's what the model is trained on. So it makes uh, finding information, doing troubleshooting exercises really quickly if you are a D2IQ customer. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I, lo- I love that idea, case. honestly. Yeah, I, I really do. I think a lot of companies should do it, especially really large companies. Yep. Because I mean, if you work at a huge company, you there's so much sort of tribal knowledge that mm-hmm. you have to learn along the way. And it'd be great if you just had a chat. I'd be like, you know, what, what, <laughs> where do I find this piece of information, this person, this project name, whatever it may be? Because otherwise, yep. you you wind up going down this rat hole of like spider web of like getting to the right information. I love that idea. I know, and like if you're a product. Of, if your product has a UI, uh, it, it helps to build something like this inside the product itself rather than because if I'm a customer, right, like not everybody in my organization will have a customer account. Uh, I don't want to share passwords and finding information that's behind a paywall might be tricky. 
So like having something in the product that's easy to find, easy to uh, look at, uh, I Absolutely. think that definitely helps. Cool, cool. Uh, and then the final thing that I had was uh, an open source utility by Fairwinds called Pluto. Uh, I, I, initially, the name caught my eye, but then it actually solves for an interesting use case. As we all know, through the different Kubernetes releases, right? There are different APIs that get deprecated. Uh, even not just in Kubernetes, even with Helm, uh, uh, there are some changes to the way the API works. This uh, open source project or utility uh, is command line based. It it does a few things like it checks your real time installation, so like runtime looks at live Helm releases. It looks at your cluster resources that you're that have that are running inside your Kubernetes cluster, and yeah. gives you a list of all the APIs that will be deprecated in the next release. And then oh, it nice. also does a scan. It can also help you do a scan against your infrastructure as code repository. So if you have Terraform files that are deploying resources, it can scan that and let you know that, dude, this might break if you just go up one version. So this helps like people catch things earlier in the uh, life cycle rather than uh, trying to troubleshoot why something isn't working that used to work before just after a Kubernetes update. So uh, yeah. uh, that's that's why I think I just wanted to share this utility that I found. Yeah, nice. I'm I'm all for it. I I also found something I wasn't familiar with, and I I, I kind of really like that aspect of it because you're just like these companies or projects that just come out of nowhere. Um, yeah. The the one I found was I don't know if you've ever heard Rapid Fort. Nope. So neither have I. Um, but they came out with an announcement and then sort of coined a term, which is why I kind of keyed in on this called Software Attack Surface Management (SASM). Uh -huh. um so their security related <laughs> just another acronym for us to learn I or don't... at least they they the article says that the startup is pioneering this term okay uh but there's a lot of happening in security as we know we always have you know um a ton of projects a ton of new things going on and it's a hugely growing space anyway the whole idea behind this uh runtime protection is basically the company as far as i understand it do sort of the the typical ci cd pipeline stuff mm -hmm. uh, but also the active running um software right so oh, it nice. kind of hits both ends of it giving yeah. sort of a, a a bigger sort of strategic sort of view into catching malware vulnerabilities or those kind of things so um anyway i thought it was pretty interesting i wanted to to put a checkbox on the keep track of this new term, SASM. I mean, I'm right. going to call it SASM. Yeah. Know, SAS. Like WASM and SASM. And then we have some <laughs> S-bombs and salsas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other one um, was from InfluxDB, who we had on the show really early. Yep. in in Last the, year. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I forget which episode it is. But uh, they came out with InfluxDB uh, uh, clustered. So their whole InfluxDB 3.0 rearchitecture, um, mm -hmm. I think, started with their enterprise version and like their their hosted version. And so InfluxDB clustered is sort of their on-prem version. Okay. Um, so if you wanted to run it in private cloud or hybrid cloud, this would be the version that you use. And it comes along with a lot of the benefits that I, they claim in 3.0, which is like a hundred times faster queries and, and stuff like that. We were, I know we were big fans of what they were up to even last yeah. year. Um, so the, I, 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 the naming seemed a little weird cause you know, it was like, I expected almost like, uh, because it was named clustered, it was this new cluster architecture or yeah. something. Um, but I, from what I understand and reading about it, it's, it's sort of just their on-prem denotation. Okay. So. Nice. I'm just like, 
still stuck at the 100x improvement that you just mentioned 100x like okay that's on, great on, but... high, on high cardinality data so oh, okay yeah. like how <laughs> slow was it before like that they can see 100x improvement <laughs> yeah they they um they do claim a lot of stuff um uh performance wise they they kind of talk about how 3.0 is really centered on performance as one of the big gotcha. key takeaways so uh, i've used it Briefly, but I, I know they're uh, up to a lot of stuff there. I, I didn't put it in the news here, but I think they had some really great revenue growth too. Um, but that's that's uh, that's a different story. Uh, that's the two main stories I had. There was a couple other links that we'll put in the show notes here from the blocks and files mm-hmm. uh, folks where they have a storage news ticker. So we do talk about storage given our backgrounds quite a lot. So if you're interested in those, there's some interesting things about uh, what IOMesh is up to and, and some other stuff in the data uh, uh, protection and backup world. So okay. check those out if you must. That's it. Now we're ready to get into today's topic. So I know. Let's talk some node list. Yeah, some node list. So we're going to talk about node list today. Uh, if it's a term that's not familiar, um, I, I'm in the same boat. So we're going to learn all about <laughs> it. Um, we have Madurdi uh, Yakuri, the founder and CEO of Lotl. Um, They're up to a bunch of cool stuff. They have a couple things called Nova and Luna that we'll talk about, as well as just the whole uh, node list concept. So yeah. let's uh, let's get Madurdi on the show. We'll be right back after this short break. As long-time listeners of the Kubernetes Bytes podcast know, I like to visit different national parks and go on day hikes. As part of these hikes, it's always necessary to hydrate during and after it's done. This is where our next sponsor comes in, Liquid IV. I've been using Liquid IV since last year on all of my national park trips because it's really easy to carry and I don't have to worry about buying and carrying Gatorade bottles with me. A single stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates two times faster than water and has more electrolytes than ever. The best part is I can choose my own flavor. Personally, I like passion fruit, but they have 12 different options available. If you want to change the way you hydrate when you're outside, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code KubernetesBytes at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code kubernetesbytes at liquidiv.com. And we are back. Hi, Maduri. It's so glad to have you on the Kubernetes Bytes show. Uh, before we dive into all things Nodeless and what you're up to at Elodl, uh, please introduce yourself and, and tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Ryan. Thanks, Bhavan, for having me on it. Um, I have been in this ecosystem since uh, 2015, I believe, when I worked with you, Ryan. Yeah, uh, Cluster HQ days. Yes. <laughs> Good old flocker. <laughs> Just at last week or two weeks ago, I was um, at this Kubernetes meetup in Amsterdam, and someone yeah. said, you know, the best thing about Cluster HQ were your flocker t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty awesome. We can thank Michael Franti, I think, yeah. for, for helping design those. He always picked the, the nicest material. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, love all things containers and compute in particular, and uh, have been very interested in this ecosystem since the beginning days when uh, Kubernetes was, I think, uh, just a glimmer in the eye of some product managers at, uh, at Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nessus and uh, Docker Swarm were the, were the coolest toys on the mm-hmm. block. 
Yeah, I, I feel like if, if you were in this ecosystem anywhere starting like 2013 to 2015, you saw this quick transition to like, what's the what's the greatest thing right now, right? It's, yeah. It was, it was you know, Meso, it was Docker and Docker Swarm. It was, everybody had Mesosphere. I worked at a company and a lot of companies just got on that board. And then it was like, oh, Kubernetes is actually ready for production. So let's go that way. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't include OpenStack in this list. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, no. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, folks who have uh, that experience mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I skipped the OpenStack time frame completely. Like, I went from VMware to directly to Kubernetes, and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, <made it. laughs> I mean, I mean, those were those were great conferences, great technology, and yeah. I know they pivoted. I didn't get involved. I didn't stay involved. I should say after yeah. they started like building Kubernetes on uh, OpenStack, but uh, you know, it's all it's all fun, I guess, at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like uh, one of our products currently is named Nova. And uh, during one of our oh, calls, yeah. my prospect said, hey, you know, is it related to OpenStack Nova? I was yeah. like, you're dating yourself. <laughs> Some PTSD, PTSD for that prospect, like, ooh. <laughs> that's too funny. I didn't even think of that when I was reviewing all this. But yeah, that, that's a good point. Okay, so uh, Madhuri, again, thanks for joining us, right? I want to get started with like the most obvious question. And like, that's something that I asked Ryan when when he introduced this topic to me. I was like, what is multi-cluster, but nodeless Kubernetes platform? Like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, fundamentally, the idea of nodeless uh, originated when uh, back in 2015, we were thinking about transitioning from running monolithic apps on Mm -hmm. on on-time data centers and virtual machines to running them inside containers, whether it Mm -hmm. be Swarm or Mesosphere or Nomad or whatever, um, as microservices, where we had this whole idea of we need to start thinking about apps as um, not pets, but cattle, where they're replaceable and they're modular. Um, So the idea of Nodeless is when we have transitioned to cloud-native deployments, where your compute itself is not something that you have to plan for with purchase orders and you have to upgrade at a yearly cadence, you can mm-hmm. get a compute of any shape of any um, at any cost price point from any cloud provider at an API yep. call and release it with an API call. So why are we still thinking about compute backing your infrastructure being as this hand-managed pet, right? Mm-hmm. When you transition your application from pets to cattle. So the idea of Nodeless is just-in-time compute for your uh, containerized application when the app comes up and the the compute goes away when the app goes away as well. Okay, at least, okay, that, that helps me, right? Because I was like, how can you run a cluster without nodes? So it's just the just-in-time, yeah. <laughs> the just-in-time compute provisioning definitely like helps paint a clearer picture. Yeah. yeah, I, like yeah. I like that idea of, you know, we, we as an industry got away from treating an individual server as a, a pet, but now this is more abstracted to like a pool of compute, right? Yeah. Where you treat that thing as not a pet too. Um, now, I, I guess this is for my own benefit because I don't really know the answer to this and that's perfect because you're here. Um, I've heard nodeless be compared to serverless or just in time compared to serverless. So I, I've even seen articles that say, well, nodeless is just serverless. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. First of all, both um, Nodeless Domain, which includes us and a couple of other folks, as well mm-hmm. as serverless folks, we have been criticized as in, um, we should not define your domain or the, the thought leadership with 
with respect to what is missing you should yeah. actually that's kind of a negative way of looking at it so we are guilty of that okay. uh, <laughs> so serverless uh, the idea of serverless is even driven just in time applications right mm-hmm. which sure. containerized which needn't be containerized yes. so it's just in time application that's coming up in response to the user driven traffic mm-hmm. the the compute backing the application could be always on so uh, the whole idea of just in time everything would be serverless at the top and nodeless at the bottom mm, yeah what comes up just in time in uh, in reaction to the increase in the web traffic or um, or your black friday load or whatever yeah. and your pod is scheduled on a just in time provisioned compute using nodeless so yeah. we in fact had a talk at KnativeCon last year, I believe, where we did just in time all the way, where just in time just in time app was being provisioned on Knative um, yeah. using serverless paradigms, and it was the pod was running on an EKS or any any cluster Kubernetes cluster that was running in nodeless mode with just in time compute. Uh, so that is true just in time end to end basically. I like right. that distinction too, because we like Bob and I have had episodes about serverless on here, and it's just a terrible name for what it actually is. Right? <laughs> I think we've come to that conclusion, but it is yep. what the industry has picked for what it is. But yeah, the distinction of well, serverless is really more like application serverless or yeah. something, uh, and, and and nodeless. I like that now. That that no. clears it up for me quite. Yeah, well. no. Uh, again, I, I think that that definitely helps, right? Like if you look at AWS Lambda, like your apps can come online, but AWS always has that underlying infrastructure running. So, okay, if I'm running Kubernetes clusters on my own, I still need to worry about the just-in-time provisioning of the infrastructure itself. And this is where Nodeless fits in. Okay. Uh, yeah, and actually Knative project uh, enables you to run your serverless functions on Kubernetes clusters. Yep. So you already have that glue layer. So if you use um, serverless functions and Knative Kubernetes beneath it and underneath that nodeless, you have just-in-time stack all the way. Okay, so the idea of just-in-time is awesome, right? I know even in the manufacturing thing, like Toyota did the just-in-time uh, manufacturing processes. But what are some of the benefits or challenges like uh, of, of having this just-in-time or nodeless architecture? Like one of the things I can clearly see as a benefit is cost. Like I don't need to have a full-fledged cluster running all the time. But then does that mean I have to wait for the spin-up time every time my app wants to run? So can you share a bit more around that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... Um... Cost is the thing that comes up right away because right now there is a huge market for post-mortem cleanup of wasted spend of your cloud bills. So just-in-time actually prevents wasted spend. So you don't have to track. But beyond cost, the biggest value proposition is actually DevOps time and energy in trying to keep Mm -hmm. track of hundreds of on-demand shapes and spot shapes and your various other uh, um, container as a service shapes like Fargate and Mm -hmm. cloud providers release better, cheaper instant shapes um, at Mm. pretty high cadence every three months or so. So uh, the decision that the DevOps engineer made today might not be the optimal decision three months later. So it's an ongoing like grunge work. Um, And to answer your question about the spin-up time, what we have noticed is the spin-up time varies based on the compute shape that was picked, whether it's on-demand, on spot versus like cast like Fargate. Um, and 
the depending on the app, the spin up time either matters or doesn't matter. So if you're running, for example, QA workloads, it really yeah. doesn't matter if your QA right. test starts now or two minutes later. That's yep. the map, right? And all your cloud providers guarantee eventual consistency for your spin up of your compute nodes. So it, mm -hmm. it's eventually going to come up. Um, of the hundreds of prospects we've talked to over the past seven years, there's only been one prospect for whom it actually mattered, which was a chatbot application. Gotcha. Um, so when someone types in a question, Long you time, expect yeah. the chatbot to respond yeah. in like three milliseconds or whatever, right? So for that, in in nodeless okay. platforms, there is you can have pre-warmed instances. So you are keeping a couple of instances that are, okay. you know, even having a hard-coded number was sufficient to meet the SLAs. You don't have to over-engineer for startup time to begin with. Okay. And like one last question, right? I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Uh, do I have like a minimal three node footprint when it comes to Kubernetes and then add more nodes? Or am I spinning up a new worker group when my application needs it? Right. So uh, Nodeless actually is smart enough to figure out whether your app needs to be bin packed or bin selected. Bin okay. packing would mean the app resource footprint is so low that it can actually, it doesn't make financial sense to spin up uh, a yeah. separate compute node for it. It can actually, gotcha. uh, that's bin packing. Bin selection would be for workloads like GPU, machine learning, right. these kind of workloads, yep. or your lift and shift of your giant JVM application <laughs> that was running in a VM. Yeah. And you're calling it a microservice or whatever. Your 20 gigabyte microservice. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, for those things, bin selection one to one is the analysis is smart enough to actually figure out whether your app should be bin packed or bin selected. Yeah, got okay. it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I could imagine. I just think back to my my Jenkins days of just like you have this sort of pet of pool of servers that seemingly everything goes wrong on when you're doing QA. Um, <laughs> and you're right; like it probably only adds a matter of minutes, right, to like a, a full pipeline yeah. run or something like that i could imagine yeah that's that's super nice so yeah it does it does um then boil down to you have to think about what the application is and then does it fit nodeless and and mm -hmm. for i imagine a lot of the times you can figure out sort of like you said a hybrid model where if, if you do need those few around um, you can keep them. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also, it really shines in special case scenarios, like for example, if you have a Mac iOS build and test, right? Yeah. You don't have Kubernetes running on Mac right now, but Nodeless sure. will automatically detect that you need Mac compute shape for your, for your iOS build, and it will spin up the Mac Metal instances on your cloud provider, or yeah, your yeah. ARM shapes, right? Or GPU shapes. So, so you don't have to special case, like have separate clusters or non- Kubernetes environment for your Mac, iOS, build yeah. and test team. So all of that goes out of the window and it actually lets you consume Kubernetes as this standard black box interface, right? Got it. Yeah, it's a good point to make. I mean, we're on a Kubernetes uh, podcast, but it, it goes beyond that, right? You can yeah. obviously uh, tailor sort of abstracted views of different types of compute, not just Kubernetes. Who knew? People do other things than Kubernetes? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the what you've been up to at Allotl and how you're sort of um, building solutions for this. Um, you have a couple different um, product over there, Luna, Nova. Let's talk about Luna first. So what is Luna and how does it kind of help uh, accomplish these goals? 
Yeah, uh, Luna is a just-in-time compute provisioner for any Kubernetes cluster on the major cloud providers. So it's currently okay. um, used on AWS, GCP, Azure, and OCI, the ma major cloud providers. And uh, it gives this standard out-of-the-box uh, just-in-time compute for any application running on your standard EKS cluster, GKE cluster, AKS cluster, and OKE cluster. Okay. Um, and it will provision, it can provision on-demand spot, Fargate, uh, ARM, Mac, any compute shape needed based on the application's resource footprint. So it will auto-detect what the app needs and provision the right compute shape for it. And it will make the smart choice between bin selection versus bin packing as well. Got it. So yeah, if, someone, if someone were to use Luna, do they basically... Um, you know, define what those different pools look like for them and how does the application choose which which pool? That's the beauty of Luna is you don't have to define anything. Oh, okay. Uh, you install, you drop Luna on your EKS cluster or your GKE okay. cluster, and you sh you continue shipping your applications through your GitOps pipeline or by hand or whatever CLI you use. Mm -hmm. Um, on the on your compute cluster, and uh, Luna will auto create the node pools if needed. The only thing you can do is you can um, you can blacklist certain node shapes if you don't want to okay. use certain node shapes. Okay. For example, ma machine learning folks are really uh, picky about hey, I know that my this algorithm uh, yeah. is not performing well on this GPU shape, so I don't mm -hmm. want you to pick this GPU shape. Gotcha. So you can say that I don't, Luna, don't consider these shapes, but, um, and you can also say, consider these shapes from these instance families. So there's a lot of like, you know, knobs available for you to, to uh, select or unselect what compute shapes Luna should use. But if you don't, uh, if you don't tweak the knobs, Luna will consider all compute shapes available to you because it's running inside your cloud account on oh, your sure. Uh, Kubernetes cluster. Okay, and and as an end user, you choose which clouds you want to use. I imagine, or Correct. is it yeah. does Luna decide that? Okay. Um, so Luna works. Luna is deployed on a cluster, so its mm -hmm. worldview is a single cluster. Okay. So you drop Luna on EKS cluster. You drop Luna on GKE mm -hmm. cluster twenty seven, etc. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like Madhuri, I have worked with like AWS Carpenter before, and how it helps you select like spot instances, so you can save cost. And I know Google Cloud also has a solution called Autopilot that kind of does similar things, right? So how does Luna compare to like those cloud-based or cloud-specific solutions? Yeah. Okay. First of all, we came to market first. <laughs> We're going to drop that pin right there. Right? <laughs> yeah. And secondly, um, the cloud provider solutions have, um, have this, like, you know, if I were working for, on Carpenter at AWS, I would make Carpenter first-class citizen for EKS clusters. Yeah. Um, you're actually working with a prospect where they went with Carpenter on EKS, and then they had to start using GCP in addition to AKS in AWS, okay. and um, Carpenter port for GCP wasn't available. So they're like, mm. we, we're not interested in writing a Carpenter port for GCP. So then yeah, they yeah. switched to Luna because Luna is, is exact same functionality on any cloud provider. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, you're basically future-proofing your yep. multi-cloud strategy. And by multi-cloud, I don't mean stretch clusters, but if you want right. your footprint across various in silo deployments across various cloud providers. Oh, I think it definitely helps, right? Like it reduces the toil that 
platform teams have to go through when right. they want to switch between different clouds and multi cloud is a reality like not just based on the discussions that we have been having with our previous guests but even in the ecosystem right anywhere right. you're talking to people like uh, they everybody's thinking about multi cloud if not already implementing it today so right. no that yeah. that helps yep 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 yeah so they are they're great products for sure and it's kind of validation for us that hey this is something that is needed in the market because yep. i think the first time i talked about luna and nodeless it was at tomcon i think 4 years ago and people were like the audience were like really frustrated they're like we have cluster auto scaler why would we need yeah. something like mm-hmm. this yeah. and it took like 3 or 4 years of people experiencing the pain points of hand yeah. managing your node pools that like yep. okay there is you need to prevent wasted capacity wasted spend right right otherwise you have to kind of really apply a lot of different tools to accomplish anything similar and that's just for that one cluster right, right. Yeah. yeah yeah got it so um we've Uh, talked up a lot about state you have uh, worked directly with flocker in the past um and i i think the question i have is you know are the applications using luna um that are stateful or how many of them are stateful and how does that work does it basically just you know consider the the clusters no list and go on its merry way as provisioning volumes as it normally would or yeah yes. give you some more about that Yeah yeah so when luna provisions just in time compute the compute node is a first class kubelet worker node so yeah, your okay. csi will work your cni so all mm-hmm. of your ecosystem components work as is it's just that the node wasn't provisioned 2 months ago waiting to gotcha. run the application it it came up just in time so your selection of uh, your csi driver and how your state works will be as expected Got it. So in in that case, is it limited to the cloud providers um I guess first class CSI drivers where you can kind of put check mark and say I want to use this or you know can they also kind of look at other ecosystem tools as well and say why well, I, I really like this solution can you yeah. add this to my nodeless uh pool when it comes up? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So the template for the uh, the template AMI that is being used by Luna to provision just in time compute there is a default template but you can override uh, parts of it so um, some of our prospects for example they have their custom ami that they baked in with the custom okay. csi yep. custom cni so they you just say that hey luna use this ami instead of the mm. default eks ami so okay. um okay. Uh, and the cloud in it will pull in the right uh, use the override the defaults that come in the default uh, cloud in it so it comes with the default which is the cloud provider default but yeah. you can supply override customize it okay yeah. no that so, makes sense so luna provides when Ryan... sorry guys so one no. more thing um uh, luna provides that template but they can basically extend it right and right. okay got it okay uh, and, and when ryan started talking about state right as like we we have been talking about just in time provisioning and scaling up or scaling out what about scale down like what how, how does luna help me when my instances are going away does it talking about state and uh, stateful and stateless applications right how does it help me make it non disruptive or make it persistent yeah yeah so um when your application is terminated either by the user or let's say it's it's your machine learning application and mm-hmm. the job has completed once the app uh, is 
is terminated, the underlying compute is automatically terminated by Luna after a certain grace period. Um, the only exception is um, because Luna is aware of the pricing structure of the compute. Mm -hmm. Luna is smart about keeping the compute around for longer if needed. For example, Mac One Metal instances yeah. on US, your, the pricing structure is you're, you're charged for 24 hours, even if you oh, use it okay. for five minutes and terminated yeah. to build for 24 hours. So Luna is aware of the pricing, nitty gritty details of the pricing structure. So it'll keep the node around for 24 hours in case another one come, another pod okay. comes. Um, so it's, it's smart in that sense that it's aware of the underlying cost characteristics and your workload characteristics. So it'll decide whether to terminate immediately or keep it around. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, like talking about the, the developer life cycle, right? I know Ryan brought his Jenkins experience and like running uh, QA pipelines. Uh, but today, like we talk a lot about GitOps frameworks and continuous delivery, and they have like a push model and a pull model. Like that's just applications being deployed. Does Luna integrate with tools like Argo CD or Flux and provision things, or it just like waits for the Kubernetes API server and to tell it, like, okay, I, I have more workloads coming in. Please uh, scale out my cluster. How does yeah. it work? Yeah, it works at it's uh, the second option that you presented. It works at a Kubernetes. It responds to the Kubernetes okay. API servers. Uh, basically, the scheduler bringing in a pod and uh, pending state. It responds to that. So it is. It doesn't have a need to integrate with anything that is northbound. So yeah. whatever GitOps pipelines you have in your um, in your environment, they should work out of the box. Okay, no, yeah. that helps, right? Like I don't have to worry about inti individual integrations into different tools and I can move between tools if I wanted to. So that's awesome, thank you. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Got it, got it. Cool, so um, we probably could have had a separate podcast for both Luna and Nova, it sounds like, but I'm gonna switch gears and talk about Nova a little bit. Um, I guess the first thing is, what is Nova? How does it differ from uh, Luna? And yeah, just generally, what it is, what is it? Yeah, so when we started off with Nodeless, the, the big vision was to commoditize compute for Kubernetes mm -hmm. across regions and across multiple cloud providers. So we wanted to solve the problem in two steps. The first step is solve it for a single cluster. Uh, commoditized compute for a single cluster. And the second level is commoditized clusters for a fleet of clusters. Yeah. So um, if you have two, three, five, or 1,600 clusters, you shouldn't be treating each cluster as a pet because sure. what's happening is when people are migrating to Kubernetes fleets, they are starting off with these fleet of homogeneous clusters with your Kubernetes API server version X and your CSI version Y and your CNI version Z, et cetera. But pretty soon, somebody, as soon as you hand over these clusters to individual business units, someone will install some security patch updates yep. and your sure. clusters will diverge and your clusters have become pets. So all of a sudden, you're not sure if you you should terminate a cluster because there are no workloads running or if it is like a special snowflake cluster, right? Um, so Nova basically creates this super cluster from a federation of your workload clusters and it commoditizes clusters. So your super cluster is simply an API server, Kubernetes um, mm -hmm. API server. So instead of all of your Kubernetes clients, whether it's GitOps clients or your kubectl clients talking to individual pet clusters, they talk to this single API server and the DevOps person inserts policies as to where these apps should land. 
Um, mm, okay. uh, so these policies give you a lot of power and a, a rich language in expressing which underlying clusters are the right target clusters for these for the apps that are coming into this super cluster. Got it. Talk a little bit more about those policies. Like what uh, what types of you know knobs and whistles are are available? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, an example would be availability based scheduling policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're running a machine learning workload, right, and your machine learning workloads manifest says, I want NVIDIA GPU shape X. Mm-hmm. And let's say you have 10 clusters in region X on uh, GCP and 20 clusters in region Y on GCP. And, and let's not even go to multi-cloud, right? Yeah. Uh, multi-region itself. And we are all familiar that not every GPU shape is available in every region um, on every cloud provider. So uh, what's happening today is people are earmarking, hey, this cluster 27 Mm -hmm. in region Y has this GPU shape uh, (laughs) as the available. And this other cluster in this other region has this other uh, snowflake GPU shape available. (laughs) By the way, these GPU shape availabilities fluctuate. So (laughs) so it's not thing that is set in stone, right? So when you have this Nova supercluster, you sim- Nova would create a single supercluster out of yeah. your 30 clusters, and your machine learning application is scheduled to Nova API server endpoint. And the policy is uh, schedule my app to a cluster that has the available resources for running this okay. Running the, running the application. So Nova knows that this cluster 27 in region Y has this GPU shape available for that the app needs, and it'll automatically schedule the app to that cluster, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely does. I, I couldn't tell you, I was working on sort of a, a problem where um, geospatial picture modeling and you know, spinning up GPUs, you, I couldn't tell you how many times in Azure would be like, nope, not available, right? <laughs> and you got to keep, just keep trying or like come on later that night and mm-hmm. hopefully you get some uh, or keep them up and pay for them the whole time. Right. Um, so I, I could see the, the the value there. Now, does um, Nova and Luna work together or are they distinct things? Yeah, Nova and Luna are designed to work independently or together. So okay. Luna is, uh, because uh, Luna's, um, uh, value proposition is primarily on public cloud, right? Because it doesn't yeah. matter whether you spin up just-in-time compute on on-prem. Um, whereas Nova, you can federate clusters on on-prem or public cloud. So uh, Nova is simply shipping the workload to the right workload cluster that it selects, right? Okay. That workload cluster could be running Luna. It could be running Cluster Autoscaler. It could be running Carpenter. It could be running Autopilot. Okay. It could be running nothing. So, okay. uh, so it is like you can combine the two to have true just-in-time all the way. And by the way, Nova can terminate clusters as well. So it does what Luna does for a single cluster. If the cluster is not running any workloads, it will transition it to standby state and it will terminate the cluster. So you don't okay. have this like graveyard of control planes <laughs> running around yeah. <laughs> that you don't know what they were used for and why they need to be running all the time. Yeah, okay. I, I feel like it, it. we hear both stories where organizations either, I, I hear them falling into two categories. One is they have a bunch of shared clusters and application pipelines go to those bigger shared clusters yep. or each individual application or, you know, uh, 
team gets their own cluster, right? And it, it sounds like Nova could actually be useful in both cases. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 And it, it actually makes uh, a lot more sense when you think about running your workflows through GitOps pipelines, because GitOps pipelines, you don't want to enumerate all of your pet clusters, uh, 1,600 pet clusters yeah. in your Argo pipeline or your Flux pipeline. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so with Nova, you target, you send your application through your GitOps pipeline to Nova API server endpoint. Okay. Nova Got will it. dispatch it. And it also enables you to maintain this homogeneous fleet, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So you can perform things like cluster upgrades super easily. Okay. Um, and you can maintain your uh, LMA stack consistency, your logging, monitoring, analytics stack. Mm -hmm. You can make sure that you can have a consistent LMA stack versions on all of your red clusters. Red clusters get a red uh, version and blue clusters yep. get blue version uh, because uh, no other okay. schedule policy will enable you to spread schedule, replicate, things like that. Okay. So, Madhuri, you said Nova can definitely help you delete clusters. So I'm assuming it can also like deploy new clusters as and when needed. If I need a different uh, type of a GPU shape, it uh, for my deployment, it will create a new cluster in a specific region where it's available and right. give me access to it, right? Right, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, and then uh, when Nova is managing these clusters or deploying these clusters, right, does it spin up individual control planes? Like the reason I ask this is like Red Hat is working on an interesting thing called hosted control planes where mm. the control plane nodes are actually running as pods on the master cluster or the, the supervisor cluster. So you're yeah. not spending resources for all your worker nodes. Does Nova work with that or Nova have a similar architecture? So Nova deploys a Nova agent on your workload cluster control plane. So okay. your workload cluster, cluster control plane could be a first class uh, control plane like an EKS, or it could mm -hmm. be running as um, a virtual control plane in, in okay. the scenario that you talked about. It doesn't okay. matter. So Nova simply has this agent running on each workload cluster that it uses to schedule your uh, workloads. Okay. Gotcha. And then yeah. you said uh, Luna is cluster specific, right? Like it performs things inside the cluster. So right. it's definitely not multi-cloud on its own. Uh, right. Is Nova multi-cloud, right? Like can I have a, a master cluster? Is master cluster the right term? That's my first question. But then uh, if the master <laughs> cluster is running in GCP or GKE, can, I, can it spin up these workload clusters in EKS as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's the primary use case we are seeing is okay. uh, Nova is multi-region fleets and multi-cloud fleets. Those are okay, the that's awesome. And cloud bursting use case is also something that would be super valuable. So you can have your um, your primary cluster be on-prem, and if you want to burst to your cloud provider for right. uh, excess right. capacity needs, you can do that, and it can bring back your footprint back to on-prem. Okay, and I think that opens up another interesting use case uh, in disaster recovery, right? Like if I want, I don't want to pay for that pilot cluster or that secondary cluster all the time, I can just have Nova provision it on demand or just in time and have a DR site that's ready to go. Yeah, yeah, DR, HA and DR are actually really compelling use cases. When we built Nova out, our vision was when people would come to us and say that, hey, we have five clusters, we'd say that you're too small for a fleet manager. Um, yeah. So you're better off managing your five clusters as pets. But then uh, we started hearing about the HADR needs of stateful applications mm -hmm. where yeah. you have a three active, active, active deployment or an active standby deployment and failure detection and failure recovery things are 
needed for even two clusters because Nova yeah. has this God's eye view of what's happening with mm-hmm. your clusters as well as your applications, right? Okay. Um, and it can spin up your DR site just in time or it can spin up an HA site for if one if your region A goes down on cloud provider A, then it can spin up um, a region B cluster just in time and have mm-hmm. your active uh, the second active run be deployed on that newly provisioned cluster. Okay, that makes sense. I think uh, the only thing I'm trying to think is how would data get copied over? But uh, again, <laughs> we can uh, yeah dive into it later. Yeah, yeah. So our uh, first version, so we are compute folks um, and we want to work with uh, the state folks and the networking folks in the ecosystem. So right now, Nova does whatever your underlying cloud provider, whatever knobs it gives you, right? Okay. If your cloud provider lets you share volumes between regions, then the volume is available, it'll recover. Or or if your DB is doing in DB recovery, in DB replication, then the app is taking care of it but okay moving forward we want to work with the storage providers in the ecosystem and the networking providers in the ecosystem to build out the storage and networking model as well because like i said nova has this god's eye view so it knows when the yeah, when things out. go wrong yeah, yeah. So it it can initiate the network and storage failovers, but we are not we as a company are not interested in in tackling these problems. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, because then you you open yourself up to a ton of very specific use cases where <laughs> yeah, you have to be aware of more more about the application itself. Where now it sounds like you can do the orchestration piece, and now it's up to whatever organization or, or team to make those movements, whether that's application to application data. Yeah. Right. And what we've seen with prospects so far is people have these very opinionated preferences for storage and sure. solutions. So, yeah. so we don't want to like, you know, impose things on them. We want to work with whatever they thought was the best choice for them. Right. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Well, um, let's, if we can talk about a few use cases, we don't have to name names, obviously, but I'd love to hear about some of the, uh, the, the top use cases that you that come to mind, I guess, in terms of how people are using Nova. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, the uh, availability-based scheduling for machine learning workloads, that is a pretty compelling use case for a machine learning workloads where you want to run a machine learning job mm-hmm. that is either doing training or inference um, mm-hmm. of machine learning workloads, and the, uh, the shapes are bespoke on certain cloud providers. So because machine learning shapes are also expensive, you, yeah. you do not want them to be always on. So that's another yeah. reason why it's a really compelling use case. Um, HA and DR of databases, uh, so we are working with Percona and a couple of mm-hmm. other folks, and um, uh, we're going to be sharing a lot of the content at uh, Data on Kubernetes Day at KubeCon. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's a very compelling use case that uh, even with two clusters or three clusters, HADR, uh, automating that those workloads is a compelling use case. Um, cluster upgrades is another compelling use yeah. case where you want to perform a cluster upgrades. And if you guys remember this whole maintenance mode of virtual machines and yeah. ESX servers, yeah. right? You yeah. want to train your workloads um, because the clusters are commoditized by changing the schedule policy. Nova will automatically reschedule your workload. You can say that I want my workload to run on blue cluster instead of red cluster. So mm-hmm. your red cluster will red clusters will be drained of all the workloads, and so you can perform upgrades. So fleet management is another compelling use case. 
Got it. Got it. And I imagine there's a um, there's a way where you could do that and have your application kind of running on both blue and red and right. uh, yeah. send traffic yeah. to, to one another. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah. That's another scheduling policy, which is spread scheduling. You can say mm-hmm. that um, I want 80% of my deployments replicas to run on red clusters and 20% to run on blue clusters and slowly transition over. And that's like one of the Argo um, uh, talks we had at Rejects last okay. this year. Yeah, this summer was a demo of that, how you can slowly transition your traffic over. Uh, if you, uh, you know, we'll have to grab any any links or anything to those and yes. include them in the show notes here because I feel like I want to watch them too. Um, uh, okay, I think uh, that's all I have for that one. Bhavan, you had one more here. Yeah, yeah. I, like I just wanted to like clarify things. I think we covered like Luna is just cloud only, but Nova can work with on-prem deployments as well. Uh, it, is that true? And then does it support all Kubernetes distributions? Yes, yeah. So um, Nova is for a, you can deploy Nova agent on any workload cluster that will that Nova control plane can ingest as a workload cluster. Um, having said that, uh, we have only tested it on the on EKS, GKE, um, AKS, OKE, and for on-prem we have tested it on uh, MKE, Mirantis. Um, oh, nice. So we do want like, you know, as opportunities and prospects come about. So so technically it should work on other uh, distros, but uh, we, sh- we can't claim that it's like working yeah, out. Of course. out. Yeah. Oh, I, I think thank you for drawing that line because like we see vendors in the ecosystem like, yeah, we, we work with everything, but <laughs> only when a customer actually tests it, it's like, ah, yeah, we need to change or fix something. <laughs> so, crux, no, I appreciate that. Many great well um i do want to give you a chance to talk about the community aspects of of everything that you do but before that we are going to do our little uh, chat gpt section here um so i asked chat gpt what's the coolest things about nodeless computing and so you can you can give me your answer but i'll I'll do a a, a synopsis of what it also has here Okay, am I going first or chat GPT? Yeah, you can go first. (laughs) The coolest thing about Nodeless is um, eliminate ongoing maintenance headache of compute management for Kubernetes um, across multiple cloud providers um, across regions and prevent wasted spend. Got it, got it. Yeah, so so when I asked this chat GPT, it was interesting. This is where I kind of started off in the beginning of this. Uh, where it says nodeless computing, also known as serverless computing. <laughs> this is its first line. It's its first line. So I wanted to make sure we drew that distinction, mm-hmm. and we did. So that's super helpful. Um, it, it talks about how it's cool and innovative, and kind of lists out a whole bunch of different things um, that you know it associates with with nodeless mm-hmm. from wherever it's pulling this information. And it, it talks about auto scaling, uh, nodeless computing being able to handle scaling of the resources. We definitely talked about that. It talks about coefficiency where. Um, you know, this community, you could also pay for the actual resources and the processing time and those kind of things, which is, I think, it's pulling from a lot of the serverless stuff uh, yeah. a little bit there. <laughs> um, it even talks about event-driven. And so I think, you know, information-wise, <laughs> definitely pulling some interesting things there. Um, you can focus on code, not infrastructure. I actually like that one, mm-hmm. right, where you know, developers can kind of concentrate. We talk about this in various aspects of the Kubernetes community of like the more abstractions we talk about getting, you know, do you actually focus on the things that matter? Um, high availability, fault tolerance, it talks about um, easy integration, right? I guess this is, I would draw a line to that super cluster yeah. where, you know, you have one thing to think about. 
um, operational overhead. You also mentioned so yeah, it's it's. So this looks like in. the discussion that we just had, Ryan. Like this is just like if it if we generate a transcript, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> with with a few other ones, uh, shorter time to market, which I think was a, an interesting point there. Um, yeah. And uh, community and ecosystem uh, was its last one. Um, it's kind of it's saying it's a thriving developer community and rich ecosystem of third-party uh, tools and libraries. So I think that's a perfect uh, segue. Thanks, ChatGPT, to talk about community a little bit more. Um, tell us about what you're doing in the community. You know, you mentioned DOK Data on Kubernetes Day, which is a day zero event at KubeCon, uh, if mm -hmm. folks didn't know. You talked about Rejects, which is also, that's that's before KubeCon as well, yep. right? Um, and so, yeah, just give us some more about that. Yeah, so we kicked off a multi-cluster meetup group um, in the EU version in Amsterdam was kicked off two weeks ago um, in collaboration with a, with a European cloud provider called Leaf Cloud. Um, okay. Multi-cluster is super interesting in the European market, especially because they don't have these top three vendors that are eating up the market. Okay. They have a lot of small cloud providers that yep. are backed by the governments. So uh, DR and HA become things that people need to plan for from day zero. Um, so that was really interesting. We talked to a lot of people that were using Kubernetes as their de facto deployment platform and are thinking through their multi-region and multi-cloud strategies from day one. That was interesting. Um, we are launching the multi-cluster meetup group US version on the 20th of this month. If you're in San Francisco Bay Area, sure. please join the meetup group and um, we have some cool talks. We have a principal engineer from Intuit who runs like, you know, one of the oldest deployments and largest deployments of Kubernetes in production, talk That's about the multi-cluster. And we have uh, folks from Cloudera talking about uh, data actually, um, building their platform for data on Kubernetes. Um, and besides that, we have multi-cluster podcasts. So if you are a power user or practitioner, please let me yeah. know and come on the podcast. Um, and we used to do a lot of work in the virtual Kubelet community, virtual mm -hmm. Kubelet ecosystem in the Luna space for a single cluster space. Um, uh, virtual Kubelet, unfortunately, uh, the project couldn't take off really up to its potential because of Kubernetes conformance issues. Yeah, but okay. that's a community that's really close to our heart because we've been involved in it for a long time. So um, I think it's still a CNCF project. Got it. Makes sense. And will you be at KubeCon uh, Chicago then? Yes, of course. Yeah. So seek seek Madari out. Uh, come talk to us. Ask to be on her podcast, and um, yeah, we'll put all the links that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Uh, any of the talks, we'll try to get anything that's available, like yep. Slack communities or whatever. We'll we'll make that available. But I think that's that's going to end. I feel like I, we could talk another hour and a half, two hours about both of these things. It's a very interesting topic. I think a very powerful topic. But uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today, Madari. Yeah, it was really fun chatting with you, Ryan and Bhavin. Thanks so much for the insightful questions. Yeah, yeah. No thank you for being an expert. All right, Bob, and that was a fun conversation. I know the no list term is much more cleared up for me. Um, you know, coming into it, you know, I, I saw a ton of articles, like I said in, in the interview, about sort of how it's it is serverless, and I was always yeah. like, that, well, that can't be right. So, Rodari's um, sort of a way of explaining it how the application 
breakdown uses serverless, but when you um, want to just have the node side of things, the infrastructure side of things, it's nodeless, and you can kind of stack those on top of each other, which totally makes sense. I like that layered, in, at least in my brain, yeah. <laughs> the layered viewpoint of it <laughs> makes a lot more sense for me. What did I, you think? I think uh, I, I, my interpretation was like nodeless is basically just-in-time computing. Like you don't want to pay for resources that you're not using. Sure. Uh, this is a framework and an automation tool set with Luna, like that can help you provision compute nodes for your Kubernetes clusters as and when your applications needed it. So yeah. definitely helps save on cost. I really liked the point where she said uh, Luna helps wa uh, prevent wasted spend <laughs> instead of like going back and like uh, trying to fix things after the fact. So like prevention is better than cure. Like let me help you reduce costs right now instead of like so a, a six months down the line when you already have spent like millions of dollars on AWS. Let's just start from like, yeah, designing a, a good solution uh, for your application. So I think I like that part uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. the The whole concept is really cool. I liked I liked the term supercluster, or, or as yeah. you called it, master cluster. Right? <laughs> yeah, I got confused. Like I was like, did she say supercluster, master cluster, like some higher level entity cluster? Yeah, yeah. Super, super. super I've heard supercluster in, in other than I think in OpenStack yeah. land, or maybe even in I forget where. But um, you know, allowing sort of that consistency across a lot of clusters, right? Yeah. So I think treating a cluster itself as a commodity is something a lot of people probably aren't used to doing, even if they're giving out a ton of them, but mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, tying back to, to everything we hear about security these days, I think it just improves that whole sort of security yeah. posture when you have that sort of, I think Pandora used the term God view, right? Yeah. Um, which, which can be really powerful in those scenarios to have those viewpoints. So really, really, uh, really cool stuff, really fun stuff. I know yeah, and I, I think I'm going to learn more about it. Yeah, like the, the ability to provision uh, clusters on demand is really cool. I know you brought up like, uh, people started by deploying like really huge clusters and doing it in, in a multi-tenant way, but now slowly they're moving to like smaller clusters per individual developer or per application team. I think using a solution like Nova definitely helps customers adopt that mindset. Right? Like you can have policies already defined and then whenever a developer needs a cluster for any task, they can just, okay, spin up a cluster, the super cluster spins it up with the right policies, the right uh, security uh, guardrails, and they can test everything out. It can delete cluster again, just in time, uh, yeah. like on-demand cluster. So that definitely helps, I think. So a yeah. great episode. Yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of the detail. And the fact that you can do sort of a hybrid model, right? If you're yeah. not like totally sold on it. Because we talked a lot about the sort of warm-up times in our serverless yeah. episodes. And I was like, well, that's got to be the same concern, but worse in this scenario. But yeah, it sounds like there's a way to run it uh, either way. Um, yeah, agreed. I think we could have Dirty back on the show and talk for a whole nother couple hours if we really wanted to about this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, reminder for anyone who wants to uh, sync up with us or Maduri, uh, she will be at KubeCon. If you're going to be at KubeCon, go check that out or the various meetups that we talked about. We will link them in the show notes um, if you are in one of those areas and are interested. Well, I, I just have one more thing to like yeah. share with our listeners, right? Uh, I know we have been doing this podcast for a while. We did start a YouTube channel and most of our listenership still comes from the audio format. Yeah. But if you are a listener, go and hit subscribe and like on the YouTube uh, channel, right? Like give us, give us access to those YouTube algorithms where we suggest, our YouTube suggests the podcast 
uh, to other Kubernetes users or Kubernetes uh, people that are interested in Kubernetes. That will yeah. help us out a lot. So just one action item or call to action from my end around this time. Absolutely, absolutely. Come join our Slack channel. Give us some yeah. uh, feedback or episode. Or if you're at KubeCon, come talk to us. If you have yeah. um, a topic that'd be great on the show, we'd love to talk to you. We're going to be doing hopefully a live thing like we did last year uh, at Detroit, which was a lot of fun and put out some episodes that are live. So cool. Well, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobbin. Thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. 